Welcome, listeners, to the BHL podcast series. I'm your host, Scott Heidner, and it is my pleasure today to have as my guest Director Kurt Graham of the Truman Presidential Library and Museum here in Independence, Missouri. Kurt, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, we are uh, looking out as we talk at some of the great renovations going on here at the Library and Museum. We'll get into more details of what those are and when they complete later, but uh, even before we get started, it's just a pretty cool vibe sitting here looking at the statues and the memorabilia of President Truman. Uh, well, let me ask you this. Uh, let's start all the way back at the beginning of the museum. Our listeners are, are going to be broadly familiar with President Truman, obviously, mm-hmm. but when did the museum open? Um, how did it get off the ground? Were, were presidential museums pretty well established at that time, or was this sort of groundbreaking? How was it funded? Give us the, the genesis story. Mm-hmm. Well, in the beginning, there were no <laughs> presidential museums. Well played, sir. And uh, <laughs> So Truman uh, leaves office in 1953 and the building of this facility becomes his post-presidential project so he comes back to independence it takes him about four years to raise the money design and build the building and and it's dedicated in 1957 so we've been around here for what is that 63 64 years this year but um the the presidential library system was started with Franklin Roosevelt. Roosevelt started his library while he was president and as a place to put his papers for people to come and understand. In those days, the papers belonged personally to the president. Same with Truman. He could have burned his papers if he'd have wanted to. He, they were not public records as we think of them now. That law came later. Uh, so presidents in those days could keep their papers and their memorabilia and all that. But they wanted, Roosevelt wanted a place for people to come and study his administration, and other presidents followed. Uh, So Truman, though, is the first president to build a presidential library in his post-presidency. Roosevelt, of course, dies in office, so he doesn't have a post-presidency. But Truman begins that tradition, and he grandfathers Hoover into into the system. So the presidential library system we know today under the National Archives, starts with Hoover and goes up to the current most recent president. Hmm. So it's, um, it's, it's an interesting thing. Truman really was, I mean, certainly Franklin Roosevelt gets credit with starting the system, but Truman is pioneering in the sense that he did the fundraising and all the things to build this place, and then he worked here for 15 years after he had it built. No kidding. So this was his, he had a working office here, and he interacted, interfaced with the public here on a very regular basis. Uh, this was kind of uh, ground zero for him in his post-presidency. I'll be darned. It's hard to imagine going to a presidential museum and library today and walking by, and there's the former president. Yeah. Just it, it is interesting. He, he actually had his uh, people um, uh, send his, send like school bus children or whatever that would show up, send them into the auditorium so he'd go in and address them. I oh, mean, my he gosh. Would, he made it a point to interact with people and in fact he was often here on saturdays and he answered the phones because nobody else was here so he would you know pick up the phone you know truman library hello what time do you open you know i mean that I mean, he just he didn't have much of a staff i mean it was it was a, a pretty mom and pop kind of operation in those days and you know, i've heard some good stories of people who 
wanted a special tour on the weekend when they weren't open. And um, one uh, one story in particular involves Judge Sachs, who, uh, as a as a young man, was was courting his future wife, and he really wanted to impress his new in-laws. And he said, "Well, I think I can get us a tour of the library." So they showed up here early in the morning on a Saturday. And who was here to open the door with the key and let them in but President Truman. Wow. So uh, he did make a good impression, and he did end up marrying that girl. So it was a good good story. Uh, my, how times have changed. Yes, yes. It's no hard doubt. to believe that a president today would have the time or take the time to yeah. meet school kids or a personal private tour. That's so awesome. Well, what uh, I well, actually, I won't make an assumption. I'll just ask the question. Is the aspiration of the museum and library to cover his entire life or just his presidential time? What's the window chronologically? No, it's a complete, it's a complete coverage of Truman's life and times, of his uh, early, uh, his childhood, is born in Lamar, Missouri, and, you know, comes, comes forward uh, through his presidency and into his post-presidency. And the, as you know, the president and Mrs. Truman are buried here at, at, in the uh, inner courtyard of the museum. So, um, it is his entire life, from literally from cradle to grave. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you a question about um, the the materials themselves that you house here mm-hmm. and their uses. Uh, you know, just a, a browse through your website reveals all kinds of cool stuff. You know, obviously tons of photos, just as you mm-hmm. and I have walked around here today. There's uh, just Stunning photos of the historical mm-hmm. figures he's with. Yeah, you mentioned his personal papers earlier, uh, and how odd it is mm-hmm. to think that you know they were in his discretion back in the day to to burn or keep or to whatever. Um, I just watched something on George Westinghouse the other day. The mm-hmm. you know the head of Westinghouse, whatever, uh, burned all of his personal papers just mm-hmm. before he died. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting thing. Anyway, yeah. but other stuff that I found to be. If you're a true history junkie or, mm-hmm. or geek out over things, federal documents that are filed here too, not just Truman's personal papers. Mm-hmm. And what I think is so cool, information on his cabinet members and staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has to be, and genealogy uh, of the Trumans, that has to be a bonanza for people Mm -hmm. that either want to know more about president Truman or a lot of the academics and researchers that come through here. Tell us, uh, on all of those things, um, what you have here, what's most accessed, what's Mm -hmm. most requested, what people wouldn't think about. Well, we have over, uh, 16 million pages of material, which, you know, in terms of presidential administrations, it would probably make us one of the smaller ones. But nevertheless, it is interesting to realize that people come from all kinds of places and they're doing research on all kinds of different things. And, you know, literally from around the world, people are writing about just anything you can imagine about Truman. So we have stuff from his cabinet members, stuff from him. And really, you get a good picture of of those times, of what it was that that, that was about. So, you know, I don't know on a percentage, you know, what's the most researched topic or what, you know, because people, it's so broad. It's, it's really interesting to me. And more than the topics themselves, what I find so compelling is that this president and his legacy is alive and well. I mean, people are still writing books and articles and dissertations and uh, magazine pieces and everything about Harry Truman and about the things that he was involved with. So it is very much a relevant, uh, we're, we're a going operation when it comes to uh, the kinds of researchers we get. It's just across the board. Yeah, I think that's so cool. And one of the things that I 
love about this, and it's true of so many museums, if the museum is dedicated either to a person or to a group or whatever, you anticipate learning a lot about that person in that group. But I love it when a museum tells you everything about not only that person of the group, but everything that lived around them. Things like their staff and their cabinet members and the federal documents that cycled through while they were in office. Um, That stuff is awesome. Every time I read anything about a president from days gone by, you hear uh, references to cabinet members, some more often than Mm -hmm. others. But I, as a reader, I always think to myself, man, I'm just curious what did that cabinet member do before he was in his cabinet? Right. You know, how did that right. relationship build? I think it's so cool that you've got all of that stuff here too. Yeah. No, it is. It's a very rich. I mean, history is context. Yeah. I mean, it's about building that story around the story of the figure. And and honestly, Harry Truman would be very uncomfortable with the degree to which this new exhibit is about him. Um, but I I have always maintained. I think I could defend that to him if I had to, because I think that. It's about us. It's about leadership. It's about what we want and need from our leaders today. And Truman just happens to be a great example of leadership. He happens to be a great example of decision-making. And I think that for us to go back and look at that, we're not here. He did not envision this place, nor do we envision this place, as a, a, an homage to the great man. As, you know, this is not necessarily a shrine to an individual. That's not what we want this to be. He wanted it to be a place where people, especially young people, would come to learn about their democracy, about participatory governance. What does it mean to have a government that we we all are a part of, that we all participate in? And he would want us to understand that and want us to learn about that. It just so happens that his administration and his cabinet and, and the issues he dealt with are a great backdrop a great example of how to learn those lessons. Well, that is, couldn't have asked for a better segue. We talked about what's here in terms of the papers and the details and the content, but I was going to shift next to the education component of this. You know, you mentioned that it's a, I don't can't remember the word term of art used, a, a living facility or living mm-hmm. library, but it is, in addition to the history that's here, there's an incredibly large amount of proactive teaching and, and learning opportunities that you all provide. Uh, again, just one cursory browse of your website just overwhelms the senses almost. You've got high school trivia that mm-hmm. you all do. You have lesson plans pre-designed for teachers. Mm-hmm. They can literally just go in, mm-hmm. pick up a complete lesson plan and use that. Uh, you do teachers' conferences. Uh, You have a huge student research file, which how cool is that? Mm Because America is still full of kids writing Mm -hmm. papers on Harry Truman all the time. Uh, Truman Foot Locker, which kind of gives a snapshot of of what Harry Truman, uh, you know, would have had in that period of time. And then my favorite part that I'd like you to talk, well, I'd like you to talk about any and all of that stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but specifically the coolest part, the White House Decision Center, mm-hmm. which gives folks a chance to put themselves um, in that spot of decision-making. But what's even cooler about this is it's broken down by uh, you know demographics. You've got one for high school folks, one for college, 
one for adult. I mean, mm-hmm. that is such a cool deal. Uh, and your talk about the mission of passing on leadership and choices and, and ethical decision-making and to have, you know, a real life reenactment opportunity like that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. What, uh, of all of those things, uh, fill in the blanks on any of those that you think listeners would want to know more about. Well, I think you, I think you've you've hit it. The White House Decision Center is really a signature education program here for us, and it 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 allows participants to play a role, not just of the president, but maybe you're the Secretary of State, and and it goes around a particular decision. There are five scenarios, and so if you're doing the one on um, desegregating the armed forces, for example, in the, in the federal workforce, you're thinking, okay, who were the people around him? What advice was he getting? And what papers? They only the students are only given the papers that the real person at the time would have had. In other words, you don't get, um, you know, fifty or sixty or seventy years worth of analysis and history to to draw from. You have to make the decision in real time. And we don't script this. Sometimes people make the decision different than what the president made, and that's fine. We're we're trying to we're trying to dissect this. The anatomy of the decision is what's important. How do you make a decision? Because not all of us are going to become president, but we all have to make decisions. And I think there's a real value to people understanding that, you know, how we go about making decisions. And I, I've always said Truman didn't just make a lot of decisions. He was decisive. And it's different. He understood what it meant and what he needed to do to make make those important decisions. So the White House Decision Center is certainly one of those uh, places uh, for us. But we have a third grade program, uh, Reading Like a Historian. Uh, we, we deal with uh, the um, uh, National History Day. We have students here and we, we help refine their, we've had several winners in this part of the state because of the program that we have here at the Truman Library. We've become kind of an epicenter of that program nationally. And, you know, and that fits exactly what this place is. We are at our core an educational uh, organization. That's why we exist. That's what Truman, I mean, he envisioned this place as a classroom for democracy. I mean, this is where people would come to learn about government. So it's appropriate, I think, that we have these kinds of outreach and these kinds of programs. That is awesome. Uh, And do you get, I assume you get the the jaw drop moment sometimes when you get students that come in here and realize, wow, we're actually going to walk in the footsteps of these yeah. same impactful decisions that the president yeah. made. We had an experience uh, meeting a young man in his 20s who was working in a Senate office back in Washington. And when he found out who everybody was and where they were from, he said, oh, the Truman Library, I did something there, that thing in the lower level, what's it called? And we said the White House Decision Center. And he, he acknowledged that and he said, you know, that was the day that I knew I was going to go into public service. You know, and so you think about a program like this having that kind of outreach, that kind of, uh, you know, potential to affect lives that that someone's career was uh, launched, impacted by the fact that they came here as a high school student to the Truman Library. I suspect President Truman would have approved. Yeah, I think he would have been very happy about that. Well, uh, before I want to move on to the renovations, we've got, um, there are big things going on here at the Truman Presidential Library and Museum. But before we get to those, and and it is a little counter, we've been focusing so much on the education component, sort of mm-hmm. the, the living or uh, uh, environment here. But let's do talk a little bit about the academia and the research. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about 
what a resource this is to the scholars and the authors and the and the people that want to come to one of, if not the premier information source of the Truman Library. Uh, do you get a lot of folks um, from that background accessing this? Do they come oh, here yeah. and camp out for a long period mm-hmm. of time? Uh, what? How does that dynamic work? Well, people come, like I said, from all around the world. Sometimes they come for a day. Sometimes they come for a week or several weeks. I mean, David McCullough, when he wrote his great biography on Truman, he he came off and on over 10 years. You know, as he was putting that together, this was a great place. You know, people, the public know us primarily as a museum mm-hmm. because that's what the public experience is. They come here and they go through the exhibits and they're very happy about that. The flip side is we really are primarily an archive. That's what a library an archive is. I mean, they, they come here to access the documents and do that research. And so the research is what really it gives us our reason for being. That's why we exist. And so, yes, we do get scholars and students and uh, graduate students for, at all levels from all kinds of institutions. And that really is where the scholarship gets driven. It's the quality of our archive and the quality of our archivists here that make a huge difference in terms of the kinds of books and, and works that get written. It's pretty cool just to think of Mm-hmm. Somebody like a David McCullough being here for such an extended period of time and coming in oh. day after day and wearing out these resources. Yeah, and he was here a, f- a few years ago and, and kind of reminiscing in the research room about being here. And you could tell it was like old home week for him. You know, tr- the Truman <laughs> biography was really kind of his first big, I mean, he had done things before and he was he was certainly well known and well on his way. But the Truman biography was really, I think, the thing that put him over the edge and made him the David McCullough that we know today. And he's very uh, indebted to Truman. I mean, he, he's very, it's just moving to hear him talk about Harry Truman. I mean, he, he, he definitely believes uh, what he says about Truman being, you know, being the great leader that he was. So that's awesome. It, it's very, very impactful. Uh, Truman was the first McCullough book I ever read. Yeah. Um, and even though in hindsight, I know now he was already somewhat of a, a rising star, but candidly, mm-hmm. I'd never heard of him at that yeah. point and yeah. I had the book recommended from mm-hmm. multiple people. And, yeah. You know, you only takes one McCullough book to become a disciple and exactly. want, want to read them all. It's a, uh, it's, it's an, it's a stunning achievement. It really is. Yeah. Well, let's shift gears then into the renovation. So, mm-hmm. you know, this has been a great facility and a great part of this community for so long, uh, but it's fixing to get better. It is going to get, tell us about, uh, and I know some of these things are being held a little close to the vest until, the reopening happens and there are some surprises, but to the extent you have the liberty to do so, tell us about the changes and the improvements and what you're excited about with the renovations. Well, this is a once in a generation and, and frankly, once in the history of this institution uh, level renovation. Uh, we've There have been renovations in the past, but there's nothing like what we've done here now. And, and again, as I said, you know, with these, uh, there are other libraries in the system, but there's nothing like this anywhere in the system. There's no other presidential library that has, I think, the quality and uh, interactives and media pieces and the effects that we have in this. I, I find it hard to believe that anybody's going to come here and walk away not knowing something about Harry Truman that they didn't know before and appreciating him and that era. It was really that post-war America that shaped the country that you and I live in, that we were born into, that we inherited, and that we are now passing on to our children. I mean, it's it's very much 
it was Harry Truman and Winston Churchill and that group of people who put in place the architecture, if you will, of greater peace and prosperity for more people on the planet than at any other comparable time in human history. So it is, it is, I think, a really important place to come to understand that. And I think that this, these new exhibits that we have here do a better job of contextualizing that and making that point to visitors that this is a very significant time and, uh, and a very significant legacy. So I'll give you a chance to make a, a free sales pitch here. Uh, even if you have been to the Truman Library Museum before, there's all the reason in the world to come back after the reopening to, to, if, to catch all that is new. If you haven't seen us lately, you haven't seen us. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I very mean, good. Well, uh, last question about that. When I'm not sure, uh, for listeners, I'm not sure when, how much gap we'll have between recording and release of the podcast, but what is your anticipated date of reopening? We will uh, be open to the public on uh, July 2nd for prepaid timed tickets. And um, so you have to get them online on our website, trumanlibrary.gov. And with that, um, you know, the restrictions are being, that the government has in place are, <clears throat> are being lifted on a regular basis. And so I think by later in the summer, we'll be back to where we can just have people come in and pay at the counter. But initially, it'll be a, uh, a prepaid uh, ticket and, and time ticket. But uh, once that passes, we'll be back in, back in business. But for the first little while, that's what we'll be doing. That's awesome. And all the things, all the new things, the exhibits and everything that you anticipate those will be done and on display. Oh yeah. You know, no, we're, we're, uh, we're, uh, sort of testing them now and, and going through and making sure that everything's working and, and, uh, working the bugs out. You know, when you do a, uh, you know, when you do a $30 million renovation, you're bound to have a, a few little corners here and there that, uh, <laughs> didn't quite, uh, you know, maybe a piece of equipment that needs replaced or something that needs reprinted for the wall or something. We're finding some of those some of those issues now. Yeah, I'll have to take your word for it. I've never been part of a $30 million yeah. renovation. That, uh, it, that's something in it, and of itself. It is a remarkable, uh, it's it's a very complex project. And it, you know, it, it included an expansion of the building. It included a complete reorienting of the exhibits and the direction that they're going and that kind of thing. So it was... Uh, it was not a simple refresh. What I say to people is, this is not a remodel. It's a reimagination of Truman's legacy and of how to connect that legacy to a 21st century audience. That's awesome. It's a completely different game. Well, let me ask you another question. Uh, the you know we've talked almost exclusively about what is on site here, both the academic part of it, the research mm -hmm. part, sort of the the living stimulus to to public policy and, and political thinking and ethics and all that. But talk to me about what the impact of this place is outside of the walls. There's a great impact to the community here. Mm -hmm. And there has been, I know you and I have talked about this in prior conversations since the days that Truman himself uh, lived and walked here, but it continues to this day. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about how this community is impacted even beyond what goes on here and just the mm -hmm. revenue that comes from from the museum and library. Sure, no, this it's a very I think it's a very important place. It's a very important economic engine uh, for our local community and for the metro area. But beyond that, it's there are only 14 communities that have a library like this, and so we're very fortunate here in the Kansas City metro 
area to have this. And moreover, Truman saw independence as the center of the universe. Um, he had an opportunity to put his library lots of other places. People offered him uh, property in Southern California on one of the campuses there. I sometimes remind my colleagues we could have had palm trees, but uh, <laughs> we love it here. We love independence. And, uh, but, but he did. He loved it here. This was home. He lived just right down the street. And so for him, this was an important uh, contribution to his hometown and his home region. And for me, one of the things I'm most excited about, I suppose most proud of or motivated by with this renovation is the opportunity to reconnect this institution to its roots and to its origins and to, and to our hometown and Truman's hometown. I mean, this is a significant place for a lot of reasons. But for Harry Truman, it, it mattered to have it here. He, he loved the history of independence. He saw independence as the gateway to the West. All the trails come through here. Uh, he was very proud of that, proud of the history here. And so... For him to put this library here and and to extend beyond just the walls of the, I mean, but to be an integral part of the community. And, and my hope is that local organizations and societies and whatever else and businesses will find an opportunity to come here and host their, you know, holiday parties and business meetings and board meetings and those kinds of things here at the library. But beyond that, you know, it's not just about reaching Independence or Kansas City. With our web presence and our digital programming and whatnot, we want to have a national and international footprint. We do programs in Washington, D.C., and New York, and we've done things in, in Israel. We can do stuff in Europe. We can do stuff in Korea. I mean, we have reason to be literally anywhere in the world that Truman dealt with. And I think you're going to see more of that as we pivot now away from this marvelous brick-and-mortar uh, renovation, this great achievement of this new facility. This facility is now not just a photo op or a backdrop. It is a springboard into the kind of programming that this organization is capable of and desirous of doing. Very cool. I probably should have asked you this at the beginning, but at its core business structure is the foundation part of the, uh, is this a federal institution? Is it private? Is it a hybrid? It, it's both. It's uh, So the museum itself, the building here, the library, and I and everybody else that works in this building, we are federal, either federal employees or federal contractors, depending on the role. Uh, and then we have a nonprofit uh, partner who is the Truman Library Institute. They're a 501c3, and they are the fundraising arm of, of the organization. And also, you know, we partner on a lot of the programming and things that we do together. So it's a, you know, it, it technically there's that sort of difference between the public-private. It's a public-private partnership. Uh, I think to the outside world and to, to the community at large, it's just the, the Truman, the Team Truman. You know, we're all in the same yeah. team. Some, some of our colleagues get their paychecks from a nonprofit foundation, uh, some of our colleagues get their paychecks from the federal government, but we're all promoting the legacy and the life of Harry Truman. Well, let me wrap up with a couple of questions, Kurt. Mm -hmm. It's been great to spend this time with you For and sure. learn more about this. It's it's such a treasure right here in the heart of the U.S. But a couple of final questions for you. As you have spent time here and you have watched, you know, individual after individual after group after group walk through here, 
Could you put your finger on one or two or three things that consistently end up being the biggest surprises to those Mm -hmm. folks? Not necessarily even the biggest impact. Maybe there were more iconic moments, but they knew those were coming. Things that made them say, wow, I didn't know that. Right, right. Well, you know, so we assume two things when people come through the door. We assume that they know that Harry Truman dropped the bombs. And we assume that they know he had a buck stops here sign on his desk. Those seem to be the two things that people know about Harry Truman. So the comment that I hear the most or that is is sort of surprising or the, the, the guests are surprised by is I hear people saying, I had no idea that he did so many things, that he was involved in so many things. People don't know that he fought in World War One. They don't know always that he was in the Senate. They don't know about, you know, I mean, the Truman Doctrine, the Marshall Plan, the Berlin Airlift, NATO, these are all Truman, uh, Truman things. You know, the, the basic, basically the, the, the American century is forged on Truman's watch. I mean, this, this notion that we are going to play that role in the world, on the world stage. Um, and, you know, his big decisions like Israel and civil rights and the, the, the whistle-stop campaign, all of those things, there's so many things that he did. And his legislative agendas and the, the way he handled himself, I think there are, there are surprises that way in that just the sheer scope of what he did, the amount of work that he, that he did, and the amount that he got done in just two terms is pretty amazing. Uh, it is, it's a testament to how much he did that the answer is not some random specific anecdote, but rather that the most surprising thing to guess is simply the volume yeah. of accomplishment. The scope, yeah. the scope of what he did is, uh, is surprising. And it is, even to those of us that are in this business and that have been aware of it, um, it is breathtaking when you, when you put it up against other, other administrations. I mean, he did not intend to be president. He didn't expect to be president. The fact is he actively sought to avoid it. And he's thrust into, I always say, you know, history shows us examples of people being thrown out of office. But in the case of Truman, it's an example of someone being thrown into office. And he ends up in this place where he hits the ground running and just gets so much done. It it really is just breathtaking to think about how much he accomplished in seven and three-quarters years. Well, last question for you today, Kurt. What of all the things, you know, anybody that spends much time with you, it's pretty clear you've got passion for the job and you enjoy it, and and there's a lot of satisfaction that comes out of what you do here. Uh, What's your favorite facet of the job? What do you feel like is the greatest opportunity that's been gifted to you Mm -hmm. in in taking this position that that feeds you and and makes you want to stay committed to, to the mission here? Well, I can't think of anything more enjoyable than recording podcasts. I mean, that's that's got to be one of the one of the top uh, top things that someone in a job like this would look forward to. But, that is an uh, outstanding yes, answer. Yes, I, we want to awesome. end on a high note here. But no, I I, I think um, you know I, I do feel very very lucky. I mean, I do have a, a wonderful position here. I, I enjoy every every bit of this job. We've got a wonderful staff. It's it's just. Again, it's I, and I'm not hedging on your on your question. I mean, I could narrow it down to one thing, but the, but it's the it's the it's the legacy. I mean, it is who Harry Truman was. I mean, you know, there are other presidential libraries out there that you might think, oh, they're in this location, or they have more money, or they do these th- this big thing or that big thing or whatever. But but honestly, I look at my colleagues around the system, and I think no one has 
the story that I have here. Nobody has the opportunity to work in this kind of, uh, with this kind of legacy. And so I think it's just really a privilege and a pleasure to think about playing some small part in helping to craft and disseminate the real power and meaning of this legacy for a 21st century audience. And I think we've worked very hard here to reach all kinds of learners, all kinds of demographics, all kinds of ages. I mean, everybody learns differently. Some people like to read, some people like to touch, some people like to watch a film, some people like to see things, whatever. We've, we've got you covered. I mean, there's something here for everybody. And I think that you'll find that your children, your grandchildren, uh, your peers, y your whole family, everyone will enjoy um, something here at this library. And that's really, you know, not everybody gets to go to work every day and say, you know, wow, people are going to appreciate this. People yeah. are going to appreciate what I do. So it is, um, it's nice to be in a position where the work that, that the folks here, and, and again, it's a large team, it's a lot of people. Um, it, it's, it's wonderful, I think, that we have that opportunity to come in here and do something that really does matter. Uh, understanding how our government works was something Truman was passionate about. I, I, I tell people all the time when I take them through the exhibits that polling tells us that more Americans can name the three stooges than can name the three branches of government. Oh, my gosh. And uh, I wish that were funny. I mean, I wish that was yeah. an applause line, but that's the reality. And that's what we're up against. And so, you know, on the one hand, we're not saving lives here. I mean, this isn't uh, medical research, I suppose. But on the other hand, I think we are saving democracy. I think we are saving participatory governance. And for those of us who have studied or care about that at all, I can't think of a better place to be than the Truman Library to get that job done. Well, I think that is a, a pretty awesome and almost majestic answer. Uh, <laughs> that is fantastic. Well, Kurt, I can't thank you enough for making time to spend with us today. Uh, it's just been a delight to learn more about the museum and library, and I hope this is a great conduit of information to a lot of folks that uh, get the bug. Well, I hope so, too. I hope to come see us. Yeah, I do, too. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Kurt Graham, director of the uh, Truman Presidential Library and Museum. Thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you on the next episode of the BHL Podcast. Podcast.